Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome once again in person and online. We're so glad that those of you who've chosen to come in person, good to see you. In fact, I've met people this morning that I haven't seen in two years. So I want to welcome you especially this morning. We're, we're in this series called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are eight small incremental statements that Jesus makes. But when they are embraced together and when they are put together as a whole, they provide for us a foundation of living, living a blessed life. And that's what it's all about. These eight powerful, independent statements put together create the foundation of how you and I can live a blessed life, a blessed life that is blessed of God. And so over the past four weeks, we have talked about what it means to be poor in spirit or to be brokenhearted, and we talked about having an attitude of humility, and last week we talked about having spiritual hunger. Today, we're going to talk about the ministry of mercy. God wants all of us, you and me, He wants us to be agents of mercy in our world. God wants to be wants you to be the provider of His mercy in the world. There's not enough mercy that is happening in the world today. And as a person who follows Jesus, you and I are called to be people who serve. To be a servant is to be a minister. And to be a, a minister is to be a servant. We all serve in different capacities. We all minister in different ways. But any time that you decide or you participate in helping somebody in the name of Jesus, that is called ministry. The Bible says that there are all kinds of different services, different kinds of ministry, but there is one ministry that every single person who is a follower of Jesus Christ, we all have in common. Every single person is called to be a person who ministers in mercy. That is our ministry. That is one capacity, one aspect of ministry that we all have in common. We are to be people who are called to be people who minister as people of mercy. So if you want a blessed life, you want a life that you are ecstatic about, that you're happy about, that you that you're feel fulfilled in, the fifth key to having that life is to participate as a person of mercy. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, here's the fifth very powerful beatitude that we need to embrace. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, do you understand what the Bible is saying here? This is, this is incredibly important. It is saying what you give out, mercy, you will get back. That's what the Bible, in essence, is saying. What you give out, being a minister of mercy, what you give out, you are going to get back. What you give, you're going to also get. In other words, what the Scripture is powerfully saying to us here is you and I must learn to be people of mercy, ministers of mercy, because God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. By the way, mercy is part of God's character. So by showing mercy as a person who ministers in mercy, being agent of mercy, 
you, in essence, as you extend mercy, you are putting God's character on display in the world. Now, usually when we hear about mercy, when we talk about mercy, you oftentimes think there are two things that I need to do in order to be merciful. Usually, we think when we talk about mercy that it means that we need to be people who forgive others who don't deserve it, or we sometimes think that mercy is helping people who can't help themselves. Yes, those are all true of what it means to be a person of, miss- of mercy, but those two definitions of mercy, what we usually think of, are somewhat narrow because mercy is much more multifaceted than those two items I just described. So before we look into what the qualities of mercy are, there's one question that we need to ask ourselves. Why in the world do I, or should I, be merciful? Why should I be a person of mercy? Why does God want me to be a person of mercy, an agent of mercy? In this world, why would God say, be merciful? Well, there are several reasons why you and I should be merciful. Number one being that God has shown us mercy. Notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through verse 5. But notice this. God is so rich in mercy that he loved us so much, notice this, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is by God's grace that you have been saved. See, the point here is, is that God wants me to act in the same way towards other people in the manner that I receive mercy from God. He wants me to pass it on. That's what this verse is describing. As I have received mercy, he wants me to extend mercy to others. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 18, tells a story of the unmerciful employee. This employee who owes his boss some money, and the boss says, I'm going to show you what mercy is all about. I'm going to show mercy towards you. I'm going to clear this debt. I'm going to wipe away all of your debt. I'm going to clean the slate. I'm going to call it even. We're going to be all good. And when Jesus describes this story, the, 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 the person, was this employee, was so overwhelmed, he couldn't believe the good fortune in the fact that he had been shown this incredible amount of mercy. All of his debt was wiped away. But then this very same employee who was shown mercy goes out to a person who owes him a lot less money than he owed his boss, and he grabs this person by the throat and he says, pay me what you owe me or I'm going to have you thrown into prison. And when the boss hears about this, he's visibly upset. And he calls this employee back in and he says, what are you doing? I was merciful to you and then you turn around and you are not merciful? In fact, you are unmerciful to someone who owes you a lot less? And what what the Bible is saying here in Ephesians, the verse we just read a moment ago, what God is saying to us is, I show you mercy. God shows us mercy. He shows me mercy. And in return, he expects us to show mercy to other people. Secondly, God commands us to be merciful. In fact, you may be shocked by this very next verse. It's found in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. In fact, Jesus 
quotes this verse out of Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, twice in the New Testament. Notice what it says in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offering. God is saying here that being merciful is more important than worship. Being merciful to other people is more important than worship. This verse in Hosea is one of the most important verses we need to understand in the Bible. What God, in essence, essentially is saying to us, I prefer a flexible heart over inflexible ritual. We have these rituals in place. Come to worship, come and sing, worship a song, bring your offerings to the temple, act religious, act spiritual, perform spiritual and religious duties. But then you leave the sanctuary and you go out and you treat people like dirt. That's hypocritical. And that's what's being addressed here in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. God commands us to be merciful, not only because we were shown mercy, but we need to extend mercy to others, so much so that it's more important than worship. You go out and you treat people like dirt. You treat your wife or you treat your husband badly. You constantly berate your children or your friends. You are belligerent towards others, towards your co-workers. And if you don't treat people with mercy, you've missed the whole point, the Bible is saying, of living a life that is pleasing to God. And then there's another reason you should be merciful. Number three, I, I will need mercy. I will need mercy in the future. So will you. Now, you've heard me say this. If you've been online or in service here often, you've heard me say this often. None of us, none of us live a perfect life on this earth. None of us between now and then, are perfect. None of us prior to heaven will lead a perfect life. You will never achieve perfection here on earth. But the Bible says, as a person, however, as incomplete as we may be, as a person who shows mercy on this earth, you will one day when you stand before God on Judgment Day, have no fear of being extended further mercy. James chapter 2, verse 13 says, There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But, but, if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when, the judge, when he judges you. So all of us need to understand, one day we are going to all need mercy when we stand before God. And number four, showing mercy brings happiness. We've talked about it. It's part of the Beatitudes. The Bible teaches over and over and over again that the more merciful that you are, the happier your life will be. Remember the the beatitude, when the Bible says blessed, it actually means happy. In other words, the scriptures are saying, when you are merciful, you will discover e essentially happiness in your life. 
All of us want to be happy. But the most important thing that we need to learn, this reality, the important quality of, of being merciful, is that we exercise, the more you exercise being merciful, the happier you will be in life. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 21 says, It is a sin to belittle one's neighbor. Blessed are those who help the poor. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17, Your kindness will reward you, but your cruelty will destroy you. I think somebody needs to send that to Putin. Just, just a side note. So these four reasons tell me that this is an important quality. It's an important quality that we need to build into our life. But now I want to take a moment to see and to look at how we can exercise this quality of mercy in our life so that we can become more merciful people. You see, if you and I can learn, if you and I can learn to be agents of mercy, it will revolutionize your life. It will change your dynamics of relationship with other people at work, your friends, your family. It will improve, will improve your marriage. Because mercy, being merciful is a multifaceted dimension. It's beyond just going out and helping people that can't help themselves. It's much more than simply forgiving people. The ministry of mercy, first of all, means that I am going to be a person who is patient with people. That's the first aspect of being a person who is mercy. I'm going to be patient with people. People. Don't you just love people? Can't live with them, and you can't live without them. People. People with all their idiosyncrasies. People with all their peculiar mannerisms. People with all their odd behaviors. People with all their irritating habits. We're, we're a very peculiar bunch. I think some of you know what I'm talking about. But here's the, here's the key. As weird as people may be, you show mercy to people when you don't get irritated at their weirdness. You show mercy to people when you don't get angry at them. You show mercy to people when you are not uptight about their personal quirks. And listen... We have all got quirks in our life. You've got them. I've got them. We have these little weird mannerisms, these irritating behaviors, these habits, the way we speak, the way we think, the way we act. And in a very practical, practical way, when you can control your anger and being upset and you refuse to be upset at people and their quirks, you're showing them mercy. That's what I'm talking about when it says be patient with people. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, the Bible says always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults 
because of your love. Gabby, my wife and I, we've been married 40 years. And the most important marriage advice that I can give after 40 years of marriage that you'll ever get in life is found in this verse, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. I'm not sure you understand this, or maybe you're not even aware of this. But gentlemen, when you got married, when you married your wife, you married a sinner. But when she married you, when she married you, she married a greater sinner. Gentlemen. All I'm saying is this. All I'm saying is this. Two imperfect people cannot make a perfect marriage. You have faults, I have faults, your spouse has faults. And if you want a great marriage, the union between two people has to be based, it has to be based on two people who know how to love each other in spite of those faults and are willing to forgive one another constantly. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2 says here, we need to make allowances for each other's faults because we love. And the number one place that becomes a laboratory of learning of how to show mercy is in your home. It's with other family members. Because in the home, that's where you see each other's faults up close and very personal. You see the warts of that person. And all of your personal idiosyncrasies are far more exposed in your home than anywhere else. You see, marriages usually don't die and end because of one big catastrophic event. Marriages collapse because of a lot of digs, a lot of underhanded comments, a little bit of nagging, a little bit of digging, more nagging and more digging. And it begins to undermine the relationship relationships usually don't die because of one big catastrophic event. Churches don't cease to exist because of one catastrophic event. People disengage when they find themselves at odds over small little incremental things that build up over time and there is not the love and forgiveness necessary. The Bible says make allowances. Make allowances for each other's faults because you have love in your heart, because you have experienced the mercy of Christ. The Bible says we show mercy by being patient with others, their quirks, their weaknesses, their mistakes, all these things that make us human. The Bible says forgive one another, love one another, be humble and gentle to one another. The second way to practice mercy is you help people in need. You help people in need. This man comes to Jesus one day and says to Jesus, Jesus, what is the most, what is the most important commandment in the Bible? Jesus, give me the bottom line. Push it all else aside. What, what is the bottom line? The most important command in the Bible. What matters most in life? 
And Jesus says, well, that's really easy. There's only two things. Love God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. You want the Bible summarized in a nutshell? Those are the words of Jesus. That's the whole Bible summarized in a nutshell. Love God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the man asked a very important question. And the question was, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And when the question was asked, Jesus responds by telling this famous story that all of us know. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. He t- tells the story of a man who was walking to the, on the road to Jer- Jericho, and he's robbed, and he's beaten, he's abused, and he's left for dead on the side of the road. And three people pass him by. Two of them do nothing. The third person from another culture, another race, stops and helps him puts him on a donkey, takes him to a motel, checks him in, pays for the bill in advance, and he says to the owner of the hotel, make sure that as you nurse this person back to health, if there's any other costs associated with this stay, when I return, I will pay whatever costs are necessary. And the reason why Jesus told this story of the Good Samaritan is to teach us a very important point in life. It's all about helping hurting those people. It's helping the hurting that we encounter in life. That's the meaning of mercy. Jesus is using this as an example to show mercy to others. The meaning of mercy. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself without being merciful. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to help them. That's what the Bible is saying. Philip Yancey tells a story that happened to him while he was speaking in Toronto a few years ago. And in this seminar, in this speech thing, he encountered a woman right here from our city who told him, I feel called to minister to telephone marketers. You, you know those people, right? You know those people. They call themselves telephone marketers who call at the most inconvenient times. And before you can even say hello, they're already delivering their spiel. Before you can even say a word. And a lot of us, unfortunately, what are we? We quickly slam down the phone or we say something rude to them. This lady tells Philip Yancey, my ministry is to minister to telephone marketer. And this lady says, and I read this from this testimony of this lady, all day long, all day long, these sales callers hear people curse at them, slam the phone down, but I listen to their sales pitch. And when they're done, I kindly respond to them. And though I never buy anything and what they're selling, I ask them about their personal life and whether they have any concerns that I can pray for. Often they ask me at the end of the phone call, they ask me to pray with them over the phone. And sometimes when I finish praying with them, sometimes they are in tears. But they are most surprised, these telephone marketers are most surprised, she says, when someone treats them with common courtesy. I think more than anything 
Well, what the Bible is trying to encourage us here is more than anything else, we simply need to be aware of people in our area, in our sphere. People that we come in contact with who God may be intentionally putting into our lives so that we can practice mercy. They may have an emotional need, a physical need, a financial need, or they may need some assistance, or they may need some other kind of care in some capacity. But I think sometimes when you encounter people divinely, God brings those people into your sphere, your breathing space, because maybe you can extend some mercy to them. I love what Romans chapter 12, verse 8 describes for us in the message. Look at, look at how the message describes this. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with a disadvantage, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. And I love this line. Keep a smile on your face. That's a good word. We need to write that word down. Tattoo it on your wrist or do something with it. Keep a smile on your face. Mercy is being patient with people's quirks. It's being helpful to those who have need. Number three, give people a second chance. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Normally, when somebody hurts us or is unkind towards us, we do one of two things. We either get even with them or we write them off. That's our natural inclination. But notice this verse. This verse, the Bible contrasts mercy with six negative responses. And you might want to circle them if you have your Bible open. You may want to circle these. Because the scripture says, if you want to be merciful, don't get bitter, don't get angry, don't use harsh words, don't slander, don't yell curse, don't be rude, other evil things. Don't do those kinds of things. I think, I think why mercy is so important in our day and age is the way the world acts on social media. If you don't believe me, just go on the internet and you will see this. There's very, 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 very little mercy on social media. The world responds with harshness and bitterness. But how are we to respond as Christians to those who may be expressing hurt in our life? We respond and should respond as the Bible says, with tender hearts and forgiveness. That's what we need in the church. That's what every church needs in our city, to be a church of mercy, a place where people are given a second chance, where people who have messed up and want to start over, they need a fresh start. That's what the church is about. 
That's what the church should be all about. Giving people a second chance, a fresh start. That's what we are called to be in the, in, in the world. Part of the, being part of the kingdom of God is to be people who give mercy to others by giving them a second chance. And here's another way to exercise mercy. It's number four, be kind to those who offend you. Don't write them off. If you really want to analyze this topic, listen, if you really want to sit down and analyze this topic and debate this topic and narrow it down, listen to me. Mercy is all about giving people what they need, not what they deserve. If you want to strip it all away, that's what it's all about. Mercy is giving people what they need, not what they deserve. That's exactly what mercy is. That's exactly what God does to me and to you. God gives you what you need, not what you deserve. If I, if I got what I deserve from God, listen to me, I wouldn't be standing here. If, if, if I really got what I deserve, I would not be here today. In other words, those people who those people who you want to love the least are actually the ones that need it the most. Luke chapter 6, verse 35 and verse 36. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will, you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. There is this great famous story about Abraham Lincoln's mercy. After the southern states were defeated by the northern states in the Civil War in America on April the 9th, 1865, Abraham Lincoln stood in front of a huge crowd in Washington, D.C. from the balcony of the White House, he gave a speech. And at the end of his speech, a senator from Ohio, uh, Iowa, excuse me, Ohio, Iowa, James Harlan, shouted out, and what do we do with these rebels? What do we do with all the Confederates who started this war? And the unmerciful crowd that was standing in front of the White House balcony, everybody shouted, hang them, hang them, hang them. And what is so interesting about this famous story is that when Lincoln was giving his speech, his young son, 11 years old, Tad was his name, was standing beside his father. And when he heard those words, hang them, hang them, hang them from the crowd that was in front, he looked up to his dad. Lincoln was a towering man. He looked up to his dad. This 11-year-old said, no, Papa, no, Papa, not hang them. Hang on to them. And Lincoln smiled to his 11-year-old son, and he replied to the crowd. The crowd that was shouting, hang them, hang them, hang them. Lincoln said, we're not going to hang them. We are going to hang on to them. That is mercy. Love when you expect no love in return. 
Do good without expecting thanks. Lend when you have no hope of ever receiving it back to you again. And when you do it, that will make you, as sons and daughters, more like God, the Most High, than anything else in this world. A fifth way that you can exercise the ministry of mercy is build bridges of love. Build bridges of love. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 and verse 14. Even though I used to blaspheme, Paul says, the Apostle Paul wrote these words, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence I, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. If you and I were Christians who lived in the early days of the church, you probably wouldn't be very interested in being kind to the Apostle Paul. Because he was persecuting the followers of Christ. He was attacking Christians, throwing them into jail. And then he says in this verse, here in 1 Timothy, I was shown mercy so that I could come to Christ. And now my life would be an example of love that comes from Christ. We, we, we need, listen, we need to understand something on this point. Before people accept Christ, before people come to Christ, they've got to have a bridge to Jesus. Before people know that Jesus is credible, they need to see that the followers of Jesus are credible. Before people can accept Jesus as their friend, they want to know whether you and I will be their friend. Before anybody comes to Christ, Somebody's got to befriend that person. You, you must win people yourself before you can win them to Jesus. You must become a friend first. You see, listen, mercy involves intentionally building friendships and relationships with people who don't have any friends. Intentionally building relationships with people who are unbelievers. Mercy is all about building bridges and love towards those who are unpopular. There are people, I guarantee you this, there are people on your street. There are people on your street that nobody likes. And there are people on your street that nobody is friendly to them and nobody wants to hang out with them. There are people in your work environment who are ostracized, who are ridiculed, and shunned by other employees. There, there may be people who may dress differently or have different religions because of their culture. They may have a completely different belief system or different lifestyle. There are people that you may know that are considered outcasts in our society. And mercy is about intentionally building friendships and relationships with people who are living on the edge, on the fringes of society. They are not loved, not accepted by the mainstream of people groups. 
whether it's because of the religion or lifestyle or looks or whatever, it doesn't matter. There are people who are on the fringes that nobody wants to be friends with. And mercy, mercy is all about engaging unbelievers and becoming friends with people and sitting with them and building friendships and relationships with them over a meal even. I mean, that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? Jesus, the Bible says, visited, sat with, engaged in, went to house parties with tax collectors, notorious sinners, the unpopular in the community. He was with them, the cheats, the prostitutes, the lepers, the swindlers, the kind of people that everyone else despised. Jesus engaged. The ill repute, the unpopular, the criminals, the negative, the fringe. Those were the people that Jesus connected with. And mercy, friends, is all about building relationships, building bridges to love those who are unpopular in our society. One last point, and then I'll quit. We need to value relationships. How do I exercise mercy? I value relationships. Matthew chapter 12, verse 6 and verse 7, I tell you, there is one here who is even greater, the Bible says, than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of the Scripture. And here's Jesus quoting Hosea chapter 6, verse 6 again. I want to show you mercy, not offer sacrifices. And in this context of Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees who are coming to Jesus, they say to Jesus, your your disciples, they are breaking the law. The Jewish law says that you can't harvest grain on the Sabbath. But but you know what? Your, Your disciples, they're harvesting grain. And Jesus basically responds, and this is, this is my paraphrase. This is how I interpret this scripture myself. Hey, wait a minute. My disciples are hungry. They're harvesting grain because they are hungry. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, these religious leaders, that they don't understand the meaning of mercy. Go and read the scriptures. If you really knew the meaning of mercy, Jesus is saying, you would show mercy above offering sacrifices. And if you had that mentality of showing mercy above offering sacrifices, you wouldn't have any problem with my disciples picking grains on the Sabbath when they are hungry. Very important for us to understand what Jesus is saying here. He is saying that loving people has a higher priority than the law stipulation. Jesus would say, put people before policies, put people's needs before procedures, put relationships before rules and regulations, 
People always take precedence. People are always most important, more important than any man-made regulation. Someone at this point, maybe someone even here in this congregation may say, well, can't you go overboard on this mercy stuff? Really, can you, can you not just go overboard on this? Absolutely, you can go overboard. Do you know why we can go overboard on this mercy and why we should show mercy so consistently and constantly in every day of our life? Do you know why this is so important? Because, listen, Jesus is all about mercy. And the reason why I can say Jesus is all about mercy is you just have to look at the cross. When you look at the cross and you see Jesus hanging on the cross with outstretched hands, what Jesus is doing there is He is extending mercy. When He's hanging on the cross and He's bloodied and His blood is running down His body, what Jesus is doing there when He's hanging on the cross, He is saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Jesus is beaten. He is whipped. He is spit upon. A crown of thorns is placed on his head. And he never retaliates. He absorbs every one of those horrific blows on his body. And when he's hanging on the cross, he says, forgive forgive and through the ages why mercy is so important because through the ages the eyes of our Savior saw you and he saw me while he's hanging on the cross and he says to us here today he says to us forgive them Father forgive them And just like Jesus, that's our ministry. Just like Jesus, that's the ministry of mercy. And when you can conduct your life in that capacity, your life will be immensely blessed by God, and He will extend you mercy. For the Bible says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will also be shown mercy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may we take this challenge to heart that we would become merciful people to a world that is so inundated with hate and self-propagation. Jesus, may we be sensitive to those who are needing mercy from us today. Perhaps as close as our spouse or our child or a family member in our relationship, may we be sensitive, God. May your Spirit make us sensitive people so that we can become aware of those who we need to extend mercy to. And as we do, Lord, may our life be blessed of you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're going to go into a time of communion now. Those of you at home, if you can gather your emblems, those of you here in the church, if you can find your little cup and wafer,
we're going to enter in through this time of worship and have communion together. God bless you. Have a great week.